Hi, I'm David Greenwald. And I'm Dams Nicola. And this is Pretty Little Grown Men. That was just me opening my opening my LaCroix. <laughs> that was about as good of Foley work as they had in this episode. <laughs> Trying to introduce some sound effects to this podcast. Uh, so we did a new intro there, kind of, because I've been listening to a bunch of WordPress podcasts, and that was it's a little trick that I hear other people doing out there in <laughs> podcast land. So, you know, trying to keep up with the times here, Dom. That's true. Um, I guess we, then we should say at the top of the hour that, that, uh, that theme song is care of our friend, Phil Nelson and our, uh, pretty little grown men logo that you see on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever else you get your podcasts. It was created by our friend, Sarah Trahan. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually I, put us in for stitcher this week i don't think it's gone through yet because they have to like vet you and send you an email and stuff uh but we should be on there soon if you well i mean you wouldn't be on stitcher and be downloading this i guess so you know you're grabbing this on itunes so that's (laughs) fine uh but you know when we are on stitcher we can let every we can tell everybody uh to tell their friends who are on stitcher uh yes but we're not there yet anyway uh, this is a big episode of Pretty Little Grown Men. We are here to talk about the return of Pretty Little Liars, uh, final season, 7B, mm-hmm. 10 episodes left, 9 after tonight, yes. and this is episode 67 of the podcast, so we will finish oh, off yeah. with, uh, I guess, about 76 or so, which is pretty awesome. Yeah, wow. We might have to just put in some filler to make it to 80. Yeah, or 100. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> we got uh, so much stuff to talk about. <laughs> we do. I mean, we haven't. I actually, I was looking at our stats, and um, a bunch of you are still downloading and subscribing to this podcast. So, thank you for hanging out with us. I know we were gone for like eight months or so, and yeah. that's a. I would expect people would take this off their phones. Uh, so, thanks for hanging in there. Uh, and we're gonna try and come up with some good podcasting content for you tonight. Yeah. If if I didn't host this show, I would have taken it off my phone. Right. I mean, you know. <laughs> You expect things to, to show up every week. Uh, this week, uh, the new episode is called Playtime. Uh, like the Jacques Tati movie, as I was telling Dave before we started. Um, I tweeted at uh, Marlene and co-writer Joseph Doherty mm-hmm. to see if they were, in fact, influenced by Tati. Ah. I don't know why they would be, because the episode <laughs> had no resemblance to the movie. But... Um, it was also directed by Chad Lowe. Who, who did a nice job. He did a very nice job. Yeah. You know, I will say from the beginning, here's how I feel about this episode. Yes, lay it on me. I wasn't as... Uh, it started out really rough. And I think that the cold open was terrible. Um, it was hard to f- It was hard to get into the pace of the show. It felt really crammed and and front-loaded, as if they felt that they had to resolve some things to get them out of the way in order to move forward. Um, We can talk more about that, but, I mean, the the whole cliffhanger of of, uh, Spencer being shot was resolved instantaneously. You know, this is something that is sort of like a classic teen show trope where they leave it with this super dramatic cliffhanger and then resolve it in the first like three or four scenes of the mm-hmm. episode and you're like why did i wait all summer thinking that this was going to be the situation on the oc or gossip girl or or pick the teen show of your choice right. uh and then of course they're going to zip through it uh which i find just a really i mean i expected it you know mm-hmm. being a 30 something man who's <laughs> seen many of these shows and i know their tricks but it is sort of like a cruel thing to do to leave people like that. But, you know, you know they're not going to kill Spencer. No, of course not. They're not going to kill any of the liars. I mean, probably. Um, you know, it's gruesome to say so, but I think we would both be excited if they actually killed one of the liars because it would show that the show has more uh, guts mm-hmm. than we think it does. But also, I like most of them and don't want them to die TV deaths. Yeah, although... Um... I won't even get to that because I'll finish my point, which is that 
I believe this is, um, as far as direction and I guess, you know, like cinematography, as far as the way that the show looks, it's never looked better. But the writing is perfunctory at best and really dumb at worst. Yeah, I agree with you on the on the first half of the episode. It was really choppy. The scenes were very short, and they felt like they were just trying to jam through a lot of information, especially in the cold open um, where you have, you know, Spencer's just been shot, and she's getting into uh, the the you know, get it, getting picked up by the paramedics to go to the hospital. Uh, and they're asking, who's your She's mother? Like fading who's away. your mother? Uh, which was like, actually like a nice little moment, but they're just trying to zip through all this stuff. And then the liars are at the hospital. Uh, they see Toby is there because he's just been in this car accident. And it's like, it's just a jarring exposition dump. It, it's super jarring. And then they skip ahead a week and two you know, weeks. I think it was just a week. I said two weeks later. Ooh. Okay. Two weeks. Never yeah. mind. Uh, I'm can't believe I missed that detail. <laughs> Crushed. It's okay. Uh, you were trying to catch up to all the shit being thrown in your face. It's it's true. I I just you know we are real sticklers about the timeline. Uh, <laughs> I, I think that's like one of the defining characteristics of this of our <laughs> coverage of the show has been like we're trying to figure out what's going on and you know, every day is so eventful in Rosewood and in the PLL verse that when you hop ahead a couple weeks, it's like, it makes me nervous, but, you know? But also, you know, I think that our fixation comes to bite us in the ass as far as enjoying the show goes, because I think one of the biggest things <clears throat> excuse me, that still sticks with me is the weird idea that Mary Drake came back to Rosewood because she heard that her sister died, even though that was five years before her sister died or five years after her sister died. Right. Um, but, and, and, and to be honest, this episode felt jarring chronologically in the sense that, you know, uh, Spencer goes from being near death to being, fine you know despite some emotional scarring she's she's fine uh i guess toby's been sitting in the hospital for two weeks just sort of wasting away into this shell of a man (laughs) because yvonne is in a coma yeah Uh, his his fiance did they get married no they're still no they're not married yeah they Um, were trying to leave town and escape the rosewood insanity mm -hmm. and of course quote unquote hit a deer as ezra fitz tells us i don't know if i believe that or not so Fitz is AD. Oh my god! I, oh my god! I wish he would be the bad guy. That was so good. I know. I don't oh, think he will be. No, because as we've learned this episode, uh, despite well, I guess two weeks have passed where Arya has sort of just been squatting in in Fitz's apartment, um, and for some reason, over the course of two weeks, never talked to him once. Right. And well, he, he's been down in you know wherever. Hanging out with Nicole, his previously thought to be dead girlfriend, yeah, who it turns was, out was rescued. Right, and then they went back to New York. Like he flew back to New York with with Nicole's family to right. help set up Nicole in this hospital. And over the course of two weeks, he never once could have taken an hour to call his fiance to yeah. reassure her that everything's going okay. On top of which, um, you know, Fitz gets back. They have a really stilted conversation. Arya doesn't once ask about their wedding, which I think she's because Fitz has said like, no, you stay. Obviously we're still together. She should have been like, so, you know, we can talk about this more later, but just so I know, should I, you know, put a hold on making reservations for our venue or. Right. It's, it's this classic case of like tension being introduced through poor communication. Yeah, exactly. And, um, and through like, a, a very, you know, teenager-ish, Im- a, a immature communication, mm-hmm. I should say. Uh, which, and, which I think was, yeah, to expand on what you just said, I think this is something that I, this is something that, that uh, I was thinking about after, I, well, <laughs> while I was peeing after the show, I was thinking about this as I was peeing. And uh, I was thinking about how, this episode feels strangely like they're okay. I'm not sure how to say this. Uh, okay, I'll say it via asking you a question, Dave. 
do you think that the show the script the directors the actors all of them do you think that they think that the liars are not actually adults that's a great question i mean i think in the way that they all sort of regress to their previous relationships and return to rosewood i think they also regret regress to past behaviors and to this sort of uh you know the younger versions of themselves and to me that's been really the unfortunate disappointment of the last few episodes of the show right in that you have these characters who are supposed to be adults who were very like the script was very meta in commenting on that in the first few episodes mm-hmm. of season seven. Like we we've done this before. We're not going to do this again. You know, we've lived through this once. Uh, and of course, naturally now they just sort of are, and they're just going with it and it's whatever, right. like that's the status quo. Um, so I, yeah, I don't think they're being treated as adults. I think they're being treated as the characters who we saw in high school. The closest we get to an, uh, an admission of that kind of, stunted maturation is when um during the shit show of some sort of meeting between teachers in the teacher lounge uh where emily and Paige now work along with allison and their old coach may wants to be called may not coach whatever her fucking name is right um that uh Paige insists during this sort of uh, detente that uh, that they're adults. This is no longer high school. We're adults now. Right. And and later, when Emily confronts Allison, she s- says basically the same thing. Like, we're no longer students. We're we're on the staff. That was the teachers' lounge we were in. Right. It's not the 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 cafeteria anymore. And it felt like the show was maybe I'm giving it too much credit, but it felt like the show was saying these are people who are not adults insisting that they are adults and are accepted as adults. And for the most part, people are accepting as adults because legally they are. I mean, but they're only like what? 23 or 24 in right, the show. Like 23. Well, right. that's, I mean, I, I don't think the show is trying to make this comment, but if you wanted to do the real literary analysis, maybe you would say that because these are people living with trauma, they've never been allowed to mature in a real way and progress past their trauma, which they are now being visited by again. Mm-hmm. And so they're not able to be adults. And I think that frustration of being trapped, you know, is one of is certainly like one of the recurring things in the show. And you see it in that scene, which I thought was really good. Uh with Emily. Emily goes through a nice arc in this episode of sort of being trying to be the savior to Allison as she usually does, to standing up for herself and they have a confrontation. And I think that was a really good scene. Um but there's also the scene where Hannah goes off at Mona and she's really frustrated and she's like, all I want to do is just make my dresses and move on with my life. Uh, even though in the same episode, uh, Caleb is telling her like, you used to be so obsessed with this and it ruined our relationship before. And so, you know, now you're, you gotta like approach it and, uh, how are you going to approach it? You know, mm-hmm. uh, or, or wh- whatever it is, he's like being supportive, uh, which you know, is fine, whatever. Yeah. But yeah, it's just interesting, like the way they show them trying to get past this, the trauma while they're still like stuck inside it. And I don't know, the soap opera stuff is so messy to me because it is so high school, which Mm -hmm. makes it sort of boring because they had evolved past that and now they haven't. And it also is less interesting than the murdery stuff and in the mystery stuff. And so it's like, it's hard to, uh, the first half of the episode was all super soap opera-y. And so it's, it was really hard for me to care about these like 30 second soap opera plot sequences right. and like Aria looking for her, her wedding venue when you know you have this super heavy stuff with the Mary Drake is Spencer's mother revelation and mm-hmm. all the stuff that kind of gets the more emotional stuff that comes out in the second half of the episode. Right. Um, I'm feeling like 
it's it's come time where a lot of our our threads and criticisms and and themes and theories are starting to sort of consolidate not necessarily because the show is consolidating them but maybe because in order to follow the show this far we we have to do so and one of the things that i've been thinking a lot about as you know as we're coming back to talking about this again is that i I think about what we used to love with the show, which I think in many ways is the idea of um, what you <laughs> what you expounded upon in your recently quoted Atlantic piece about, about the <laughs> bringing the slasher to prime time. Yes, if you if you go on uh, the tech website, The Verge, uh, they quoted they wrote an article about Pretty Little Liars as like the smartphone horror show. Uh, which is a good observation, mm-hmm. uh, and quoted that I wrote an article in the Atlantic a few years ago about how Pretty Little Liars reinvented the slasher, which it did, uh, and now it sort of reinvented, you know, the, making well, a slasher movie have like seven million sequels and and stop being interesting. So that's the thing is like you know okay so I think that we've talked a lot about the show and it's and it's prime which is when it was really when it had when it understood the sla- the slasher tropes and the, and the the genre of of the slasher in inside the larger genre of horror and could manipulate it to its own ends but the show decided to move past that right, um right and to become more of a straight straightforward thriller and then uh, to some extent just a soap opera but i'm starting to see and this is something that i think that you brought up and I thought about it a lot more, which is the idea that the show wants to explore trauma in a very real way. I don't know to what extent it succeeds, but right. it's sort of like the, the logical extension of the slasher genre or micro genre. Right. Um, right. It's like what happens after or how do these characters, you know, like what, what is the, what happens to the, to the final girl 10 years down the road? Right. It's sort of like the it's it's sort of like Jamie Lee Curtis and like what Halloween H two O only <laughs> done with a bit more taste, I guess. Right. Well, that's <laughs> I mean, I guess that's been the real advance of this show in a way, like as a genre work, because in a slasher movie, you only see the characters in sort of this forty eight hours or whatever this this period of slashing mm-hmm. essentially, where it's a <laughs> where it's a pursuit and someone is closing in after them, and you know these movies are purposefully not played out over a, a three week time frame. Right. You know, they're in the woods, it's a couple hours of run a day or two of running around. Mm-hmm. Uh but Pretty Little Liars said, I mean almost in the way The Walking Dead is like an endless zombie movie, like, well what if these characters have to deal with this all the time and also go about their lives? Right. How would that work? Uh and of course that's a super intriguing premise for a show, uh, until it does go on for years and years and you're like, well, I mean, at some point, you do have to wrap this up. Well, I think that the problem with what the show is doing is that, you know, in a traumatic situation, uh, not to be an armchair psychologist or anything, but, you know, like trauma, if if you can find something safe within within trauma or someone who understands what it's like to go through trauma, as as the victim of trauma, you want to return to that in order to feel safe. And that's what the characters are doing by returning to the status quo, returning to these old relationships again and again and again. Right. It's like a, it's almost like a Stockholm syndrome or just hanging, it hanging on to whatever made them feel protected. But the, the show, time. but the problem is that the show does not see that as a bad thing. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, I guess that's really our, our gripe with the show right now is that in order for these characters, in order for a television show to be interesting, the characters have to progress and the show has based its whole, uh, plot around them not being able to. Mm-hmm. They're stuck. They're all stuck. And it's like, well, seven seasons of these characters being stuck and repeating the same relationships and the same making the same mistakes. Uh, Seeing the same people? Like, who the fuck is this Holden dude? Who gives a fuck who this Holden dude guy is? Right, right. Yeah, this guy Holden, who's Arya's old friend, who I had to Google because I couldn't remember who he was. <laughs> Do you remember? What, what, what did Google say? He was some guy who, like, went on fake dates with her in, like, season three or something. Mm. Uh but it's just not yeah who i don't care about him he's right. we all know that he's just a vehicle to get arya to like 
think about her feelings for Fitz exactly. or whatever. Like and every he won't, guy in the show is. Right. And he won't, in two episodes, he'll never appear again. So right. it's like, I don't care about this. Right. This doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And like you said, it's just drawing back on an old character. I mean, it's not better. It's not any better when they introduce the new characters and they're around for three episodes and disappear. Yeah. Um, but it's like, why do that at all? Why not come up with another way to tell the story? I mean, the only person who seems to have any clarity with the situation is Toby, who literally says, like, the only way that we're going to escape this trauma is if Rosewood itself disappears. Right. To which I respond, yeah, burn it all the fucking ground. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> it's... I guess it's just an interesting or, or in fact, sort of a boring uh, knot that the show has tied itself into mm-hmm. where it can't really progress. Uh, or, it, you know, this is what's frustrating is that it did. Like the first half of season seven, the episodes felt really smart. Uh, the characters had, an, had new stuff going on. It felt really interesting. Uh, I was really curious about what was going to happen and who the villains were going to be. Uh, and then, you know, they just sort of, it spun back on itself, yeah. I think, in part to service fans and be like, oh, let's put all these characters back together again because it's pandering and it's easy emotionally. Uh, I don't really see it as being uh, a, a cathartic arc for Hannah and Caleb to get back together. Like they broke up for totally good, healthy reasons. And right. it's super frustrating to watch them get back together uh, after Hannah and Spencer, or not after Caleb and, and Spencer were like, a really effective couple. And then it, it just makes him look like a worse character too. Right. Because he's supposed to be like this loyal, like heroic dude. And all of a sudden he's like, Oh, I'm just going to bail on my girlfriend who I've known just as long as I've known Hannah to get back with my ex. It, uh, and like, like we were saying when we were, when we were watching it, uh, at least Hillary and I were saying this, uh, Caleb and Hannah just, the chemistry is just not there anymore, which is either indicative of the fact that the show is sort of resting on on its laurels when it comes to some of these uh, these relationships, uh, or that they never, or compared to to Spencer and Caleb, they never actually had any real chemistry in the first place, or the chemistry was very teenage based. It wasn't adult based. It's not right. an adult relationship. Right. I I am a very firm Spalob shipper, as you know. Yeah, we both. Yeah. The the only the only ship on the show we will ever uh, condone, and I think Spalem. Spencer's just the most interesting character. Mm-hmm. You know, she is uh, Troyan. I think is the best actress on the show. Uh, she gets the most, like she's had the most, one of the most emotional arcs, particularly now, uh, where she learns that she is Mary Drake's daughter, mm-hmm. and her dad did that thing that we were discussing. Yeah. That, that it was actually like he thought it, he thought it he, was he thought he was sleeping Mrs. With, with Mrs. D and it <laughs> said it was her crazy sister. I mean, that's that's a wild plot line for the show. To it say. is, but it's also like the reality of it is super fucked up, and the fact that Troyan could sell it. I mean, whoever I don't the woman who plays uh, Spencer's mom, uh, it was a little less believable, but somehow, despite the zaniness of that plot development. Troyan sold it. Yeah, it's really good acting. Yeah, which which made for a not so cringeworthy scene, uh, because because of her being there. And I thought the plot with um with Allison and Emily and Paige and the way Emily goes through this little mini arc in this episode and comes around to being able to stand up to Allison and call her out. Uh, and as Allison essentially blames it, I'm like, well, you know, I'm pregnant, which I forgot about. Uh, right. and, my, and my whole life's been a lie and a mess and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, I mean, that doesn't really excuse you taking it out on Emily, right. who really has been the most romantically put upon character on the show. Uh, and I don't know. I think she's just a great character and not not annoying. I mean, I think Hannah and Aria have their moments of annoyance and I really don't feel that way about, uh, Emily and Spencer. Right. So it's like for her to sort of be visited with all this romantic punishment over and over. It's like, you know, give her a break. Right. I mean, even, even in the situation in the, uh, in the teacher's lounge, wherein Emily seemed to be the only one who was like, you guys, uh, I finally got this job I really love. Don't fuck this up for me. And 
uh, somehow these two people who considered them adults were just sniping at each other. And on top of that, somehow the <laughs> older woman who hired them wasn't like, wow, this was a super fucking mistake. I should never have hired you guys. Uh, you're still children. Right. Please get away from me. Yeah. How does Allison not get called into an office? Well, okay. Uh, what about the, the the mystery plot that moves forward? We get this big board game hand-delivered or delivered uh, to the liars, and it's like, you know, shoots and ladders. or It's, it's, it's like, I don't know, it's more like a... Uh, trying to think of one of these like it's one of these like one of these nerdy it's, like, it's the game of life dude but it's three-dimensional yeah. you have like these little buildings well, and life, I... life has started getting three-dimensional <laughs> is it really is that yeah. the new yeah the there's new like way? stuff sticking i mean it's not as extravagant as the liars game as the end game well trademark i noticed two things about this game one is that in this in this sort of mini map of rosewood that it shows us the key thing that gets revealed in like the overhead shop is that there's a secret tunnel that seems yeah. that seems to go from the church they to didn't the Hastings. They didn't fucking point that out. It was like the first thing they showed. Yeah, you, you think, think the, it's like Spencer would have been like, "Hey, you guys, do you see that fucking secret tunnel there?" Yeah, did, did you notice <laughs> that there's a secret tunnel from our house to the church, uh, the church where Charlotte died? <laughs> yeah, I mean that seems kind of important. <laughs> I'm sure it'll get. I'm sure it'll it'll come up again. Sure it will. Uh, I mean, Spencer's been under a lot of pressure this episode, but she does say later in the episode, like, I wasn't thinking, which is a funny thing for her to say because she's the brainiac mm-hmm. of the group. I don't even think she wasn't thinking. Like, No, of course. She just wanted to, she wanted to do it. I mean, that's the only thing there is to do in front of her is, like, play the game and see what happens. They all agree that they're going to play the game, so they were just waiting for the game to basically say, like, it's time to play, and the game did, and so she played. Period. She did. She did exactly what they agreed on. Um, although Hannah did have the same reaction I did, which is just open that fucking game up and take whatever shits in there. Right. Um, but also, uh, here's what I'll say about the game. Uh, when it was introduced, I thought it was really stupid. All the sounds it made were really stupid. Uh, the the way that the phone, like like the the weird like PowerPoint presentation of the phone. And that just felt like I was at like a like a college basketball game, and there was like something on the scoreboard that's saying like like right side of the stadium cheer, left side cheer. Um, but the preview uh, for for the following nine episodes, I th- felt like a genuinely good idea, which is where does the show have left to go? But to legitimately um pit the liars against each other which i think is the only thing left that, for the show to do cuz it's been hinted at in the past the idea that 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 um that charlotte was uh, was toying with the idea of pitting them against each other um with that whole like stanley milgram kind of like experiment uh and uh that it was hinted at that they could like start that like they could essentially have to pick between each other. But it seems like that's actually what's going to happen now is like, they're actually going to have to do things that are going to hurt each other. And I really, I like the idea of that. I hope that it's handled as compellingly as it could be. Yeah. We'll see. I think this episode was, Overall promising. Uh, it definitely took its time to to get into the rhythm and seemed to clear out all the all this extra junk that just I don't know. The show sort of gives itself too much to do in a way. It's like if it was a little more focused on solving the mystery instead of being like, well, we have to go through our everyday lives right. and do all the soap opera stuff and not have the urgency. I mean. If I were living in this situation, it would be pretty urgent to me. Mm-hmm. And I understand that you can't keep that momentum up for a hundred <laughs> episodes or whatever it may be. But I, I think the pacing of the show and the pacing of the mystery is something that's really hard, uh, and that they took their time sort of getting into in this episode. But they're they're cooking now, and uh, I'm curious to see what happens next week. And I mean, the nice thing is, you know, you have in the back of your mind 
that there's only nine more episodes and then this will all be over and then we can go to sleep and rest <laughs> and never think about Rosewood again. Uh, until they until they do the spinoff, Rosewood. Remember there was a show called Ravenswood? I remember. I remember? watched I watched part of it. Yeah, I remember remember when Caleb was in love with a ghost? That was a thing. Yeah. Now he's just living on Lucas's dime in Lucas's apartment. Doing whatever like what is he even doing on his computer anymore? He's like doing I mean he's not computer still computer stuff. Like, yeah, like he's it's like he's always working on his computer and you never really know what he's doing. Yeah. I it's, mean, I'm assuming true. that neither him nor Hannah have jobs. They're just living in Lucas's apartment. Well, isn't Hannah supposed to be launching her clothing company? Yeah, so I mean, I guess she has some sort of like investor, i.e., Lucas. Yeah, but, Lucas. Um. So does that mean that Caleb's just doing what he always does, which is like mooching off of his girlfriend? Remember when he was <laughs> mooching off of his girlfriend when he was a Spencer? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's that was sort of like a messy thing of like, okay, uh, Lucas made this is making this investment. You're signing this deal. You're going to go forward and start this business. Uh, and then Mona kind of jumps in and is very perky and connects her with some, you know, governor's or a senator's daughter, socialite character, which creates like this sort of stupid friction of like, uh, Mona taking on a, a role that she shouldn't have, saying she's her boss and this whole fight. And that was sort of the whole thing was super weird because it had no flash of like Mona, the super genius, you know, or Mona, the like potential villain. It was just like, oh, they're friends now and Mona's quirky and OK, this is fine. This is just happening now. I, you know, it just didn't really feel right. Do you think that the people who make the show are aware of the way that they have so consistently manipulated the feelings of the audience that they have someone like uh, or they have us well this is how i felt when i when i was watching this dumb thing between mona and hannah which is that hannah finds out that uh katie daly katie daly yeah which is a weird name to have for a politician that's like <laughs> just take one of the most like popular politician names of the past 50 years and just apply it to some sort of fictional senator i guess but uh to say that like um uh, this person said that you were acting as my boss uh but you're not my boss why did you do this and then to have mona say well um that wasn't my intention i never implied that nor did i directly say it but i'll clear this up anyway I really just want to be friends with you again. Now, I really wish that was the case, but the show has uh, conditioned us so explicitly to think that like everything that com- comes out of Mona's mouth might be full of shit, and so right, right, that this could be some sort of Machiavellian, you know, silly plot. And so do do you think that the show realizes this, or do you think this is just like Mona trying to be genuinely a good person? I, I think they just needed a way to set up some tension for Hannah to freak out. Why though? It was that was so dumb. I'm glad that Han- I'm glad that Mona's back doing something useful, but at the same time, it's just like there was not like Mona's better than all this shit. So either she wants something out of this, or she just wants some friends again. But hasn't that been the 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 conflict for the past like two seasons for Mona? Yeah, I I don't know. I thought Mona was Ever being since she came back from being dead. Yeah, I mean she Mona was being used in a very in a much more mysterious way in the opening of season seven, uh, and then since then she's been much more of like a one note character who's like, yeah, I'm here to help. I want to be part of the Avengers, you know, <laughs> uh, or in this one, like not even doing that, but just being like, I'm here to help you do your business stuff and. I have nothing better to do. I'm not working on a political campaign or whatever. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I, why I isn't think she she's... working on a political campaign? Well, didn't she? I can't remember what happened. Uh, but I think she's just being she's treated. Working, working for the opposition to Toby's fiance's mom or dad. Right. Right. Who was directly opposed to Spencer's mom. Spencer's, yeah. Right. Oh, she was working for. Mona was working for Toby's fiance's parent one of their parents campaign right 
who is against Spencer's mom. Right. So they Not lost. her real mom. That must be... Oh, Mona got fired. That's right. She got fired from the campaign. That's right. Because there was some... Like, something got leaked or something. Yeah. There was hacking and leaking and... Yeah, right. All that good stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just don't feel like Mona... And Allison, too, to a degree. I, I don't think that they've been treated with the same level of depth of the four liars, mm-hmm. uh, which is unfortunate because Mona's the most interesting character. I agree completely. I, m- I miss Mike. I- I've said this before. I miss he's Mike. never coming back. I, miss, I, I know he's not. He's definitely never coming back. You know who else is not coming back? Are his parents. Chad Lowe's directing because he's not in the fucking show anymore. Uh, we're also missing uh, Mike's awesome denim outfits. <laughs> by by the way, how uh, how not believable is it that Spencer gets shot and her parents are like on vacation somewhere? <laughs> no, they were and gone they, for two weeks and they can't get back. They can't like hop on a plane and be like, "Oh my god, my kid got shot. She's in the hospital. All right, I'll be on the next plane." Yeah, and 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 Nolan North is still in another country or something because this, there's problems with his passport, which is convenient because he's like a crazy villain now, just with how he seems to be incapable of controlling himself. Right. Also, you're telling me that uh, 23 or so years ago, he was like a a serial uh, offender as far as affairs go. And like in the past 23 years, he's been fine and hasn't done anything else. Right. Right. Come on. Like, especially when your wife is on the campaign trail and never home, you're not sleeping around constantly because you're just a, (laughs) fucking loser well, dickhead maybe he's changed <laughs> but yeah it is it is pretty wild when spencer is having this conversation with her mom and being like how you how you you know dad this, did this to you twice and you stayed with him and she was like yeah we built something yeah. there's this house of lies <laughs> <laughs> you know and we continue to live right next door to the dealer emphasis and not like move a hundred thousand miles away which granted mary drake's uh, letter to to baby was um super damning of everybody mm-hmm. it was pretty much just like everyone is fucked up right and i'm sorry which you know we talked about this which is kind of the show and so when i was talking previously about the consolidation of these themes i think that we used to we used to talk about the idea that the show was about the horror of growing up mm-hmm. that you know and that's why it was at its heart a horror show horror movie extended horror movie or whatever slash a slasher movie and then it's now as the liars have grown up it's now matured air quotes into uh a show about trauma but at the same time i feel like it if you're if you're talking about trauma and trauma resulting from the sins of your parents that that almost like you inherit you you inherit trauma um I think you could sort of put these two themes together that like growing up is, is, is horrific and scary because there's nothing you can do to avoid the trauma that you will inherit, inherit from your, uh, your parents, right. from the adults around you, that becoming an adult means inheriting trauma. Right. It means becoming your parents or being trapped right. by what they've given to you. And that's a really deep and powerful message I'm not sure that's what the show is actually <laughs> trying to tell us. You I, know? I wish that it did because all the all the text is there. Yeah, it it is there. But how does that square with like the game playing and the you know the 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 clownishness and the the just the the sort of boardwalk you know Stephen King clown horror well, of it? You know, one could say. Maybe maybe not me, but one could say <laughs> yeah. that uh, by pitting the liars against each other, you're just uh, accelerating the in- inevitability that the friendships and bonds you form when you're younger will never last. Mm-hmm. And that maybe the what the liars need to prove is that that's not true, um, you know, in order for the show to end on some sort of positive note. Yeah. I don't know how it's going to end or if it's going to end on a positive note. I I really don't know what it could do that would be feel true to itself and be satisfying because it can't end 
on a, on a really positive note. It can't end like in 10 years with everybody married with kids, like no problems, you know, because that's not what this show has been. Well, so I really don't know what it's going to do. What do you think that Allison is going to name her child? Uh, well, I guess she's going to have a, have her kid. Yeah. I mean, there is sort of a, a discussion about that where Emily says, you know, I'll stand with you, whatever you decide to do, uh, doing that teen show where they won't say abortion, but they'll hint about it. Uh-huh. Uh, but you know what? What if it's what if she was implanted with one of Emily's eggs? Oh, my God, you're right. Holy shit. And they get together because it's their baby. Holy fuck, you're right. Did I just spoil the last episode oh my God, of this that, show? Oh, that makes so much sense now. Oh, whoa, did you just figure that out that's as we were my talking? New, that's my new theory. Whoa. Or the show will do that thing where it just conveniently forgets that that was like a major plot line <laughs> and just kind of move on. Just kind of go, you know, that's all right. Just leave it. Um, what was the thing that we were, it was in this episode and we were watching it and, and I was like, how much you want to bet they just dropped that shit. I can't remember now. Also, why are none of them in jail for the ax murder of Noel Khan? I, right. I guess they assume that because Spencer was shot that they were just acting in self Oh, oh self-defense. But nobody else was there. Jenna is gone. Mary Drake right. is gone. They're the only witnesses. And so for them, and there's to be, even there's even disparaging uh, evidence against like the fact that Spencer is like that's the gun that shot me, and they're like, uh, no, it's not the gun yeah, that shot you, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I, I, well, I guess Noel would have had his own fingerprints on the axe, so nobody else's fingerprints would have been on it. So that's some evidence, but mm-hmm. it it's just funny to me that after years and years of the liars always being. Uh, assumed guilty by the police that now we have this new guy who just lets him off easy and says, well, listen, there was this ax murder, but you're all probably fine. Yeah. Let's not worry. Let's, let's just not worry about this one. <laughs> of course it was an accident and he got his head chopped off. That's fine. That's right. what really happened. So yeah. that actually seemed like kind of a, almost too easy. And I understand why they wouldn't want to mire the, the liars in another, you know, legal drama. But that was like, a nice get out of jail free card for them. Absolutely. What was uh, um, Mrs. De Laurentiis's name? Oh, I can't remember. That's what that's what Allie's gonna name her kid. It'll be a girl. Uh huh. And it'll be her mom's name. Uh huh. Or or if if Charlotte is still dead, it'll be Charlotte. Yeah, maybe. Um, but oh my god, I think you're right. I think that holy shit. I think that Emily and Alice are going to raise Allison's baby. Isn't that a great theory? Yes. That's a wonderful theory. And the reason I ask what the name is is because I was thinking about when we when we saw The Fate of the Furious. Uh-huh. And like halfway through the movie, I leaned over and I was like, he's going to name that kid Brian. Oh, of course. <laughs> of course. You have to. <laughs> because for some reason, in the Fast, the fate of the, the, in the Fast and the Furious universe, uh, name <laughs> David, it would be like if I had a child with my wife. And I said, Dave, I would like you to meet Dave. Right. <laughs> Except because I died in real life, I couldn't be in this canonical version <laughs> yeah. of the... But it, it's weird because the Brian character is still canon. He's still and He's alive, still alive, yeah. And yet we know that he's not. So it's like right. this weird meta meaning added to this movie, exactly. which I like. I, you yeah. Know, I thought it was... A, it's, it's a nice touch, but it's like... It's the movie telling you you're watching a movie. Yeah, exactly. It's it's there is they, they couldn't have not named the kid Brian. Right. Like once you introduce Dom's son, you have to name his son after his best friend. But in the reality of the movie, which is not a reality, um, and which is why the the movie can get away with anything that it wants to. It's still funny to think of the fact that. Dom is naming his child after his best friend who is still alive right? <laughs> and married to his sister. Right. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, I read an article or I saw the headline of an article today that was like a uh, spoiler, by the way, about this. Uh, Charlize Theron couldn't have really controlled a thousand cars oh. with her computer. And it's like, did you not see the rest of the movie? <laughs> Because that seems like I I hate when people make these silly complaints, Mm -hmm. especially about like fictional, a fictional world, a semi-fictional technology. Right. You know, it's like, 
okay, she flies around in never being detected by anyone and all this other sort of high-end tech stuff that may or may not be real. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there's like a nuclear sub that they fight. And, you know, of course, just the cartoonishness of the movie. And I'm all for, like, internal rules being set in movies because otherwise there are no stakes. Um, But that seemed like a really absurd thing to write an article about. Like, that that, that you you can't have an app that directs all these cars to go to the same location. Like, of course you can. Right. And the Fast and the Furious movies have have basic rules that they follow which is that gravity is like sort of a thing gravity is sort of a thing uh the the main characters are the most elite talented super agents in the world and uh three they driving is like their superpower it's like what i was when we were leaving the movie i was like if you get them behind the wheel of a car they can do anything so don't let them get behind the wheel of the car because they will fuck your shit up. <laughs> they will they will fuck your shit up. And uh that's the only rules that they have to follow. I mean, did you see the last movie where The Rock flexed his way out of a cast? It was awesome. <laughs> yeah. That's why these movies are awesome is because they there's there aren't these hard and fast rules about the way that physics work. Like of course there's not that technology. And exactly. Well, like, did you see the rest of the movie where, where uh, Vin Diesel drove a car on fire for like three minutes? Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and then drove it off into the water. Yeah. Where? It, yeah. And he, and, and he he definitely jumped out of a car that was going probably 150 miles an hour. Yeah, 200. 200. Uh, yeah. Right. And then he was totally fine. He did that twice in the movie. He did. <laughs> One was onto right. a, a, a patch of ice, or a, a lake of ice. Yes. Which which is thick enough to hold the weight of those cars, but not thick enough that when you're underneath, peering up at the ice, you see, you can see very clear shadows moving. <laughs> That's true. Well, maybe we should get uh, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson to tell us about. Oh yeah, that's the appropriate. To tell us about the appropriate ice fun. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, it just ruins everybody's fun. Well. I like I like him and I also like that movie. I like Neil deGrasse Tyson too. I, I He's too smart for his own good sometimes. It it's true. I don't know. I like when he goes on Twitter and 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 says <laughs> pedantic <laughs> stuff. I like when he does that stuff because it's sort of trolly and I think he knows what he's doing and I don't know. I think he's funny. Do you really need Neil deGrasse Tyson to uh, debunk the flat world theory of assorted famous NBA players? Yes, <laughs> I think that, I think that's great. Although I don't know if I follow him on Twitter anymore. I may have I may have gotten I may have gotten annoyed. So who knows? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know. Anyway, moral of the story is uh, the Fast and Furious is I, I never expect realism out of it, but I do think it's funny when there are some things that are so blatantly strange about right, it. Right. Well, there are two two things. One was that. Uh, that sequence where Charlize Theron's character Cypher summons like the fleet of self-driving cars. Uh, I was like, wow, this is actually the future of car movies because self-driving cars are going to be a reality in the next few years, uh, sooner than later. And then we won't be able to have road movies anymore or car movies. Like they're going to become period pieces Mm -hmm. because if no one ever drives a car again in real life, why would you go see some movie with drivers? It will be unusual. Uh, and so I thought that was actually a really smart way for the this series, like the, 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 the Uber car series of our time, to say, hey, this is what's next. Yeah. So I thought that was a really smart uh, decision. Oh, absolutely. And, and visually satisfying. But the other thing I was going to say is that what I think is great about these movies is that it's like Mission Impossible – uh, and they're, I mean, they're really similar, like the driving, there was a scene in both of the, both of the last couple movies in each franchise where someone like drives a car in the like top floor of a hotel or something like that, you know, drives, uh, drive, like there's a scene where they like drive between that was skyscrapers. In, that was in, uh, the seventh Fast and Furious, but then you're talking about in Mission Impossible four uh-huh. when, uh, Tom Cruise is hanging from the Burj Khalifa. Right. So yeah. so you're supposed to do... So there yeah, so there's a lot of, you know, I feel like the the 
and it's sort of the same thing. It's like, here's this crazy thing and only you can do it and you mm-hmm. have to go on this adventure to do it. So I think they're right. very similar movies. But what I like about the Fast and Furious series uh, is you have this very uh, a, a much more diverse cast. Right. Uh, which is very which, true. Which is great. Yeah. Uh, and I think it speaks to why these movies are successful as well, because mm-hmm. uh, you can just appeal to a, a wider audience. You can appeal to more people uh, than the the continuing adventures of uh, Tom Cruise, who's <laughs> like a crazy Scientologist. Um, but I really love those movies, though. The Mission Impossible. No, they're movies. they're terrific. Yeah. But those are more cartoony because in these movies, you know, in the last few movies, members of their crew have died. Uh, and I don't want to give the spoiler, but there, there's like a very, like a, they cross a real heavy line mm-hmm. in this, in this fast and the furious eight and fate of the furious. Uh, and I was like, Whoa, that, that really sucked the oxygen out of the theater for me for a while, uh, before they come in for the grand finale. But that's not going to happen in a mission impossible movie. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Okay. I totally forgot about what you're Sorry, not to, yeah. It's but, weird if you haven't seen it, you don't know what we're talking about. Well, but, but even just the last couple movies, like in the beginning of Fast 7, they kill off somebody, and at mm-hmm. the end of Fast 6, they kill somebody. And so it's like... Who do they kill at the end of Fast 7? At the beginning of Fast 7, um, there's... Somebody's, like, killed <gasps> off screen. Oh, uh, Han from, right. from the Tokyo Drift. Exactly. Because of the way that all the movies line up. It's like Tokyo Drift takes place after 6 and before 7. Ooh, okay. So six, so six happens, then to- then Tokyo Drift happens during which Han dies. Oh, okay. And um, then you find out uh, in the beginning of seven, or maybe at the end of six. I think it's the beginning of seven. That that uh, Jason Statham like killed him or something. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Right. But so that's like. Those sorts of consequences don't exist in Mission Impossible, which is much more right. cartoony. Right. So even though it makes it darker in a way that I found pretty uncomfortable in this movie uh, and almost emotionally manipulative when you bring in the baby and the uh, the naming at the end and all that, and you have sort of this like happy ending, which comes out of like this super dark thing that happens. Uh, but I appreciate that it's a franchise that amidst all this like cartoon action like is willing to say like yeah there are consequences and people die and there there are sacrifices that have to be made as opposed to mission impossible which is pure cartoon well and and in in a way i prefer that actually the pure cartoon but i like that both exist what i will say is that uh mission impossible four and five are cartoon and arguably i mean mission impossible four is just such a freaking good movie um but both of them are really good. But what I will say is that the the um so Mission Impossible one, the Brian De Palma movie, uh, I mean, it's more of a drama than it is an action movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I'm talking about the more of the last two, yeah, three, uh, which, the which are the ones one. I which are the ones I've seen lately and remember. Yeah, because the the J.J. Abrams one is very like dramatic as far as like how much Tom Cruise's character loses. Yeah. Uh, like Philip Seymour Hoffman is the bad guy in that movie, and he's a fucking like super villain, just so cold, and it's it's kind of fucked up, and it's, it really becomes a sort of it's it sets the trajectory for Tom Cruise's character as far as the fact that he's like this uh, um, untethered man of the world, uh, which then like gets blown up and four and five because he's basically just not a character anymore he's just sort of a cipher for male heroics in in modern action movies Mm -hmm. it's almost like just a giant action set piece that's also symbolic of what modern action movies have become but in the third mission impossible movie uh it begins with tom cruise basically like having a life and a wife and like having a home life and it just gets like I, I can't remember if his wife dies or if basically like he has to leave her she comes back and like witness protection or something right and he like can't on. be with her anymore yeah so i think that that like the so the jj abrams movie is probably the most emotionally driven mm-hmm. out of all of them uh but then yeah afterwards four and five have been just straight up action movies right well, and you can look at a franchise like James Bond, too, which really started as cartoons and then reinvented itself as more of a grim and gritty, you know, 80s comics sort of 
like Dark Knight Returns kind of way where it became, I mean, really, especially the last one uh, where you find out that one character has been responsible for all this bad stuff that's ever happened to James Bond. And like, it was all set up and it's like this long running evil scheme. Uh, And that was a pretty good movie. I think Mm -hmm. it felt maybe it needed to be 10 minutes longer or something. I don't know. Something about it felt a little thin to me. Uh, It got tied up pretty tidily at the end. Yeah. But I did really like it, and I don't know. It's it's interesting to see a franchise like that where it really has encompassed both ends of, like, let's see how far we can push this into feeling horrible and still yeah. being, like, things exploding, which is fun, versus the just swashbuckling, like, comic book Because isn't, like, stuff. isn't uh, Judy Dench's character killed? Oh, yeah. Yeah, like, that's, yeah, it gets fucked it's, up. Yeah, the last couple of movies are, like, super <clears throat> gritty. Yeah. So I, I mean, I guess I would like to see some of these things steer in general. I'd like to see things steer more into sunnier stuff, mm-hmm. but it's interesting to see the way, you know, various things choose to play the realism or choose to play how intense they're going to get with life and death stuff. And uh, so now we have a nice, a nice range of things. Cause I think of course the Marvel movies uh, are a lot sunnier, but still bring in, I think pretty serious emotions and a lot of stuff to grapple with while still being more cartoony and more satisfying in that way. I don't know. I would say they actually walk a really nice line between Saturday morning cartoon and comic books and Mm -hmm. being like kid friendly, but also dealing with serious emotional depth. Uh, And I don't think they get enough credit for, for building some of these stories, especially like Tony Stark's over the course of all these movies. But you know, I love them. I think they're the best. Yeah. Um, speaking of life and death, there's one last thing I wanted to say about Pretty Little Liars. Yes. Uh, I think what it's what's odd, and I don't want to get into a discussion about um, uh, American depictions of obscenity and censorship, but it, I think it's odd what you mentioned about how they can't, they won't, they they won't say the word abortion, mm-hmm. um, even though that's what they're talking about, but yet they are very open and seemingly fine with uh, premarital sex. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not like I'm sure some people would make a distinction between uh, premarital sex uh, in itself and premarital sex within the context of a monogamous relationship. But regardless, it's like sex leads to making babies making human life i don't understand why there is and i'm not i'm not saying this is on the the shoulders of pretty little liars no it's it's many shows where they're willing to show one thing and have that be sort of fine and normalized but abortion uh is not right i mean and i mean the, the same kind of hypocrisy exists within most rated r movies where They'll show uh, f- flagrant graphic violence, but they won't show a guy's penis. Right. Which is just, you know, like, that's just hypocritical. It's just stupid, and it's just based on uh, these really stupid ideas of um, what's obscene and what isn't. No, I agree. It's like this very particular American sense of, you know, puritanical appropriateness uh, that doesn't really serve anyone which is fucked up because we we accept like gruesome violence gruesome. yeah i mean they just chopped a guy's head off in the last episode yeah but we can't but you agree. can't but you can't say the word abortion <laughs> right yeah that i don't that's not a great decision uh i mean i mean i i understand marlene and co that uh you got sensors to deal with especially when your um channel is owned by disney but um at the same time i don't know take a stand you got power. Yeah. No, it's true. I mean, it's a, it, that kind of thing. It's like, it's a small thing, but, uh, it is a comment on, you know, where they're willing to stand and what they're willing to say. I mean, especially if you want to portray the, the realistic lives of, uh, women in 2017 or whatever year. This right. Is I mean, 23 year old women who uh, yeah, are going like, to have to deal with these you're issues. You're going to tell me that none of the liars have had had a ha, haven't had a pregnancy scare i mean well that was a whole spencer plot that's right that was dealt with oh my god i forgot about that right and that was you know dealt with very sensitively it was they did do it but they didn't they couldn't just say the word abortion right and they didn't really it ended up being 
that there wasn't a need for it. That was that was so they sort of was sk- very they well sort of, handled, right? But then they sort of gave themselves an out by not having to have her make a decision right. by just preventing pre- presenting the like possibility of the decision, right. which was like emotionally heavy enough. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. It just, yeah. Exactly. But Allie's gonna have this kid. Oh, for sure. It's like uh, the new season of Girls. Have you been watching that at all? No, I'm two seasons behind, but I know I know oh, what happens. Okay, yeah, so do I. Um, which you know, which is, which is fine. Which is another show about like characters attempting to break out of cycles, mm-hmm. and not well, trying to trying to grow, trying to grow up. Which is which I understand. It's like it's. I think I've come around on girls. There was a time when I really hated that show and I've come around on it because I, I finally, I think I finally understand what it's trying to do as far as paint realistic pictures of people at that age. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, maybe that's how I feel about pretty little liars now, which is that like, I can't totally blame the show for having its characters get trapped in cycles because that's what, happens to people they get trapped in cycles and they have to figure out ways to break out of those cycles yeah i think it's just we we look to tv as being an escape or being like a having something move having something to look forward to and when the characters don't change maybe it is more realistic because it's hard to change it's hard to grow up uh, but if the show doesn't show you that, then what, what's the point? You know, how is it, how does it teach you anything about your own life? If you can't see someone go through something mm-hmm. and then take a, and have a lesson, you know, if there's no lesson, if it's just, this is how we are and we're stuck and it's bad. Well, I mean, that's sort of frustrating, right? Exactly. <laughs> you know, it doesn't really give you the narrative, uh, just having the characters be defined by frustration and perpetual bad things happening to them, you know? It, I mean, it depends on what those bad things are, if they're interesting or not. But, I, you know, it's not super exciting. No. And it begins to feel, we'll see what happens this season. But it's like the urgency gets sucked out of it because you've right. seen it so many times. And you know you know that none of the liars are going to get killed. And, you know, like with Spencer getting shot, it's like, you know, it's not she's not going to get killed. You know there's going to be no consequences from this. Mm. And, of course, in the first three minutes of this episode, there are not. Nope. Uh, so that doesn't really satisfy me as a television viewer no i agree which is just like i don't I'm, i don't know what, what do i want out of this but at, yeah, i want this, realism but i also want it to not be boring well i want it to tell a good i want it to tell a story which means it has to have a beginning and a middle and an end and not just be <laughs> like the beginning repeated over and over with different a lot of scenarios middle. uh i mean i think one show that actually did this really well was mad men where the last couple seasons of mad men especially the season before the last season where Don is just going back through his old habits over and over. Mm-hmm. And the show was so focused on him and people I remember at the time were frustrated because he's just doing the same shit yeah. and all the other characters around him are sort of moving forward and mm-hmm. changing. And I thought it was trying to make the point that Don has tried to change. He really did. He's gone through all this stuff. He did the swimming. He's married someone else. Uh, but he can't. It's hard. Yeah. And I thought that was really like the message with an exclamation point that the show was trying to tell us. Like right. changing is hard. That was the point of what his character was in that season. And then, of course, he does get sort of forced into change in the final season. and goes through really this almost like Buddhist uh, level of of losing his uh, or giving away his material goods and going out and meditating and finding himself and having really everything stripped away from him. Right. Um, so it does lead somewhere in the end. But um, I do think that was an instance where the show decided to be purposefully frustrating and have a purposefully boring character arc in order to make a point uh, which was contrasted by all the other characters on the show being lively and interesting mm-hmm. and totally worth following. So it wasn't sort of like the entire show was stuck, yeah. which is where Pretty Little Liars kind of is. Yeah. It was like, here's this character who's stuck in the context of a changing world, mm-hmm. the change of the 60s. So, you know, it's it was a, it was sort of boring, but at the same time, there was a theme. Which maybe, you know, be, would be more acceptable with Pretty Little Liars if it wasn't the whole town of Rosewood uh that was stuck and if we had some sort of outside perspective that wasn't you know (laughs) the fucking haunted house of ravenswood if we had some sort of idea of how the world outside of rosewood worked well we know they have instagram 
That's right. Instagram is PLL Canon. Uh, we've had long conversations about the use of social media in this show, which is now just totally been shat on and no longer applies. Yeah. Oh, well, that's interesting. It's yeah. fine. I mean, it's, yeah, you know, Instagram, whatever. It's, it's, yeah, it's, I don't know. It's like not going to be relevant probably to anything else that happens on the show, but it's funny to see them bring in sort of real world things as opposed to their own PLL, you know, weirdo versions of them. Mm-hmm. True. Well, um, you know, it wasn't as disappointing as we thought it was going to be, uh, which that's, that's great. Good job. Yeah. Good job. I'm excited to see what happens. <laughs> I'm excited for it to be over. I, you know, I don't, excited, I'm, I'm I don't know if I'm those. excited. I'm intrigued. Yeah. I'm, I'm intrigued because I really don't know what they're going to do. Yeah. Except for um, uh, Allison's baby, which now we've, We've solved. Knocked, knocked, that, knocked that theory out. Okay, so uh, uh, who who is AD? I don't know. I don't even care. Okay, if it's fair, not if it's fair. if it's not Charlotte, then who? You know what's Melissa? the point? Melissa. I mean, that would be interesting. I just I don't even want to think about it. I just want the show to tell me, which is not really great for me to podcast. But we've we've given you enough information. I think enough analysis. I think we've some, done some damn good prognosticating in the past <laughs> and uh give give us a break we'll we'll start once we get closer to the end we'll start making some heavier predictions yeah i'm sure the show will pull us in and we'll be feeling the conspiracy vibes uh you can talk to us on at plgm podcast on twitter and uh we will be here every week for the next 10 weeks getting through this saga with you so would love nine to hear weeks. nine weeks nine weeks to go uh so yeah would love to hear what you are thinking about the show who is if, if allison is going to have emily's stolen baby uh whatever your theories are and if uh you uh please give us a star rating on itunes that actually helps and i'm sure that if you've listened to any podcast they say exactly the same thing um and if you write us a review no matter what star rating you give us, we will read it on the fake air. Yes, on the digital air. <laughs> uh, well, until next week. Only nine more to go, bitches. I know what you're keeping for you now.